but you have to have the openness, the vulnerability, and the gumption to ask the ask the right questions and to really listen. And I think that that makes a really opens up a world of possibilities for anybody with an interesting idea. This is Can Do, a podcast that explores the essential lessons for business success. As the world continues to feel the effects of the coronavirus, uncertainty and unpredictability have become the status quo. It has never been more important to learn from entrepreneurs and industry experts about their experiences and to hear their advice. Whether you're a business owner, entrepreneur, or your career is affected by the current economic climate, lessons shared by our guests can help you make informed decisions about your future. I'm your host, Arnie Sherman. Small businesses are the lifeblood of the American economy. According to the Small Business Administration, businesses with fewer than 500 employees comprise 99.9% of all firms in the country. Montana was recently ranked as the number one state to start a small business by the investment resource, The Blueprint. According to the most recent data from the SBA, Montana is home to 124,000 small businesses with an average of less than three employees. Who are the creators of these entities? Where did they get their inspiration? What can we learn from their experiences? Today on Can Do, we meet Montana filmmakers Peter Tolton and Samuel Steingraber, who set out to explore these very questions with a particular emphasis on the stories of entrepreneurs in Central and Southeast Montana. Their documentary, Edge of the Plains, focuses on the unique experiences of small business creators who transform their business visions into reality. Support for this episode of CanDo is provided by the Dennis and Phyllis Washington Foundation, dedicated to investing in people to improve the quality of their lives. Additional support comes from the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. And Parsons, Bailey, and Latimer, a regional law firm with national experience representing the interests of Montana entrepreneurs and businesses. More information at ParsonsBailey.com. Peter, Sam, welcome to the show today. It's a pleasure to have you with me. Where are you joining me from? Sam, where are you? I am in Billings, Montana. And Peter? I too am in Billings, Montana. Well, good. Let me ask you first off, what led you to doing a documentary on entrepreneurship on the edge of the plains here in Montana? The idea was cooked up by Big Sky Economic Development. In particular, I believe it was... Kevin Scharf's idea. He runs the uh, small business uh, workshop and development arm called Rock 31 there and uh, is also a chapter head for the Small Business Development Council. You know, they work with small businesses all the time, helping them bring their ideas to fruition, help them, um, you know, get started, get going and grow. And so they had these pre-built relationships and wanted to uh, convert that to a storytelling project. And they they reached out to you, Peter. What's your background? Why did they decide to ask you to do this uh, documentary? Uh, for me, I've, I've done, you know, I have a great working relationship with them. And also my documentary background is, you know, I did a, I did a piece I produced and was production manager on a on a documentary a few years ago called Makoshika. I ended up playing on Montana PBS. We had a good uh, theatrical and festival run and that's about boom and bust and 
uh, from the homesteading era through the Bakken oil boom in eastern Montana and western North Dakota. So I had some experience working in rural communities and and uh, yeah, so I think, you know, Sam and I are both in a way used to just being scrappy and making lemonade with the resources we're given and working in this pretty underserved part of the world where we happen to live, but where through some lenses, there's not a lot of action. And so I think that uh, that lack of exposure is also part of the genesis of this project. You know, there's a lot of great things going on here. There's a lot of interesting people engaged in interesting projects. And just because we're uh, some distance away from a major uh, major metro area or, or, or major university doesn't mean that it's not worth shedding light on. And in fact, I think given the hardships of living in a, in a place like this, it's even more, um, it's even more admirable to, to really get it done out here. Sam, how did you get looped into the project? I mean, I think my involvement was a little <clears throat> more, uh, um, I don't know if unorthodox or unqualified is the right word. Um, you know, Pete, like he said, has a history. <laughs> Pete uh, has a history and experience in, in documentary and uh, this type of um, storytelling. But um, I know as you know, part of the process of finding their team, um, they just kind of cast a net into the area. And like Pete said, you know, there's um, you know, being the type of demographic it is, um, I was one of the ones that got plucked up as an option, um, and seeing our skill sets as a, a pair, they asked us to, to work together, um, being with, you know, Pete directing and then, uh, uh, me filming and editing and, um, working tandem in that. So, um, you know, found me by chance, I think being that I'm not in the, um, specific category, but um, uh, seeing that our skills would work together, and I would say they they ended up working really well together. Um, it was you know um, a lot of fun working with Pete, and it was obvious that the things that he brought to the table I didn't, and uh, uh, vice versa. And so, um, in uh, yeah, so really cool ways. It, I, I learned a lot for sure, but um, I, I, I would say I was unqualified, but it was a lot of fun, and I think it worked out well. <laughs> Well, the story was conveyed very beautifully and photographed very uh, dramatically. And it looked like you were two seasoned pros that had worked together many times because it just, it all worked. And I was very, I was very impressed with it. How long did it take you to, pro how long did it take you to produce? Uh, we were, we were contacted in February of uh, 2021. And they had been working on it from like the concept and vision of it for I think uh, two or three months before that. I'm not exactly sure when the uh, uh, conception of the idea was, but we, from our beginning was was February and in just kind of talks. But I think we actually sat down to to begin the initial work in April, and then we finished. Yeah, we finished in uh, October or September, beginning of September. So. Um, it was, it was, <laughs> it was a blitz, you know, uh, we, we really, uh, um, not a lot of time for the scope of project it was, but, uh, um, everyone involved was super cooperative, um, in that, that, you know, we, we had to really push things given whether it was our, uh, production crew, um, even, you know, like the composer Parker Brown, he was super cooperative in his, um, 
um, small time as well and, and did an incredible job. But even all of the entrepreneurs that we talked to and worked with and scheduled were just so, so easy to work with knowing that our timeline was pretty, um, squished. And, uh, so that was, that was very helpful. Um, but yeah. Peter, the difficult part often of a project like this is the financing of it. How was this financed? It was all through grants. Um, there's no underwriting or sponsorship message. So that's all through Big Sky Economic Development and they got everything in order. And, you know, we worked pretty lean. And like Sam said, we, you know, we couldn't do it without our collaborators, you know, Ted Kim, Stan Parker, um, yeah. Parker Brown, uh, Sam Lustig on graphics, or Scott, our colorist, Monty on mixing. Like everybody was willing to be generous with their time and, and work unusual hours and on a crazy timeline to get it done. So anyway, that all that all fell into place properly. So you have all these collaborators, you have all these pieces, you have to act like a maestro in an orchestra to coordinate it all. You're on a you know fairly short timeline. What was the most challenging part of the filmmaking process? I would say the most challenging part was um, the fact that we did have a squish timeline and the fact that once we started to open this box and discover the treasure within, there was a lot of treasure. And so it was like, man, these entrepreneurs, these business people, these communities, these towns, it's a, it's, I just remember every scouting trip that Pete and I did, every location, we're like, well, this could be its own documentary and this own business and their journey and this entrepreneur could be their own story in, and take up the whole space. There's just so much. And so um, navigating, and that's a good place to be, that you have a lot of really good stories and content and people um, but navigating that focus and clarity to really keep the purpose on track and, um, and dialed into what we wanted it to be, um, especially with such a small timeline is, is we had to make quick decisions and quick moves. And, um, there was just so much, um, you know, going into, it, we weren't really sure what we'd find, but we found a lot and it was all really good. And so that was, that was cool. Yeah. That was cool. In a way, that's a great problem to have. Um, and our subjects, one, one hard part on production logistically is they're pretty, they're pretty far away, you know, and that's something that um, out of town film production on, on bigger, bigger movie projects are shocked to discover that once they get here, that it's pretty spread out, you know, it's a great distance. So if you want to go just pick something up, it's uh yeah, you got to spend a lot of time in the car and it's hard to get good light in the summer when the good lights are first thing in the morning, last thing at night. And uh, and yeah, and then like Sam said, also in crafting the story, we had to gather a ton, a ton of great information, good stories. Fortunately, um, our subjects spoke well and and were vulnerable and open with us. That was really a gift to the story. Um, but then to weave between them and make sure that we were honest and that we weren't advertising these businesses, we were uh, you know, using them as, as places, a wellspring of ideas and inspiration perhaps and, and troubles and trials to show other people that that's hard too. But 
you know, to, to give each of them adequate screen time, to tell the best story we could for every person, not to weigh the story too heavily on a single subject. And of course, to make sure that we're showing people in a, in a light that is affirmative of who they are and who they want to be, but don't let them craft the story too. And everybody has a worldview that's skewed to their own concept. And it's, so it's really, you gotta be really careful to, to do good on them, but also to, to hold them to task. Edge of the Plains checks in at under an hour in the, as a finished product. How many hours of interviews and filming did you have to gather to create that hour? And how was the decisions made to this, uh, about what to include and what not to include? I mean, each one, it, you know, somewhere, somewhere around 10 hours worth of just interview um, content with each individual. And then as far as just like extra content on top of that, I would say it probably comes in close to um, around the same amount, another probably like eight to 10 hours. So we're looking at probably 20 hours of footage overall that we're working through. And yeah, you can answer as far as like the decision-making on how we whittled that down, Pete. Yeah, we'd make certain decisions um, based on, you know, sometimes ideally we would have an opportunity to interview and to go out and shoot b-roll you know record some action and in a perfect world we'd be able to go back and ask more questions um oftentimes we wouldn't have that opportunity so we would be trying to tell we on our scouting trips we would shoot some b-roll and, and sometimes some aerials and just kind of try to build the relationship which makes interviewees perform better, makes them trust us more, and also gives us a better grasp of the story. And then when we returned later with the full crew, we would know what questions to ask and also what gaps we had in the action. But a lot of it was shooting from the hip. <clears throat> you know, a lot of it was, you know, we try to get there at a certain time to, to get the unloading of the truck for um, Crazy Creek chairs you know, or when a certain employee is there because they're really good at, you know, like the, like to make sure we had the right team together at the tea shop and big timber at Tumblewood so that they could all do the, the tasting and the cupping before one of the, um, one of them had to go take care of her horse. Those kind of issues are all, are all intermingled, but really I think it's about relationships and about people uh, trusting us enough to want us to tell their stories. And because everybody starts off even the eager ones are a little bit wary. And so, you know, you, you really want to, you really want to get to put your boots on the ground when you get there and, and have it just unfold for you and not be pleading your case that you're acting in good faith the whole time. You want that already to be established. And that was a huge thing that I think worked out nicely. Cause I think Sam and I had good chemistry and also we just had great, great subjects to work with too. And the, the film that got, finally included was the film that highlighted the premise that you were seeking to unfold to an audience correct yeah and it but in a way you also i think it yeah i think we we're really fortunate in that way but you also kind of are are recrafting the beginning so that the the promises of the first part of the film are fulfilled by the end. So if you know what you're able to fulfill at the end, um, then you can you can tweak the, the the initial promise. 
I'm speaking with Peter Tolton and Sam Steingraber, the filmmakers behind Edge of the Plains, a documentary about some of Montana's inspiring small businesses. Support for this episode of Can Do is provided by Montana Rail Links, committed to safely delivering transportation solutions to their customers and partners. Additional support comes from the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. And Parsons, Bailey, and Latimer, a regional law firm with national experience representing the interests of Montana entrepreneurs and businesses. More information at ParsonsBailey.com. One of your entrepreneurs that you interviewed used a quote by uh, LinkedIn co-founder Reed Hoffman, uh, which was, an entrepreneur is someone who jumps off a cliff and builds a plane on the way down. I thought that was very, um, you know, beautifully stated and a very a good way to, uh, you know, sort of begin the conversation. After you talked to all of your interviewees, what did that mean to you? I, I would say it's uh, kind of like what Pete said about even this project is we we embarked on it not knowing what it was going to take to arrive at the end goal. And I think you go into it with enough knowledge and skills and experience to eat just to start. Um, but in a lot of ways, uh, you're not, you're not prepared for all the things, you know, if, if you're jumping off a cliff and having to build a plane on the way down, that means not the plane's not already built, you know? And so there's going to be some things you got to do in a pinch and quickly and, and with difficult circumstances. And, um, so that's, that's something that we did in, in the, in the project. And I think as anyone who's, who's running a business, there's just so many variables, so many unknowns, so many risks, um, so many losses even that, um, if you're going to wait until the plane is built to take off, it's just never going to happen. Um, because once you take off, well, after you built a plane, once you take off, you're going to need a different kind of plane anyways. And so, um, you just got to jump and build. In a way, Peter, that quote applied not only to the people you were interviewing, but you and Sam yourselves as you're building this film, right? Absolutely. And, you know, not to cling too tightly to this metaphor, but just being open that the plane might look different than you want it to by the time it's built, just so long as it flies, you know? And so that's, I think about planning as if everything is going to go precisely how you want it to go. But all along the way, always be open to things being a little bit different. You know, when I think about, you know, we didn't necessarily go in knowing that a key part of Redox, you know, the, the, the luggage and gear manufacturer here in Billings, that they were going to play the part of the story that they were so deeply affected by COVID and suffered great losses in that way. So to always kind of keep your ears open for how to make to make something out of the good stuff that you hear, to, to make use of it, and, but also to always be ready to kill your darlings and let them fall on the cutting room floor, because there's a, a hundred great stories we could have told, like Sam said, that that, that didn't make it in. So, Sure. And, and as you were planning all this, and as their businesses were evolving through, you know, the COVID pandemic, which was unpredictable, you know, that added a different layer to their conversations and their stories. 
I mean, entrepreneurship is, is difficult under the best of circumstances. Yeah. And here you're talking to these folks who are struggling to build their airplane before it crashes, and then they're affected by the biggest you know pandemic you know in a hundred years. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in a way, from a narrative perspective, to think about your the subjects or your character, you know, as characters as sort of narrative playthings, which is a very unkind. Uh, kind of godlike removal it's it's a it's fortuitous for us to have these extra level of constraint and challenge because that's uh it wouldn't have been a very interesting movie if everybody was just thriving the whole time and i don't think that that's very helpful for anyone so you shared insights from a number of entrepreneurs about their business journey you had many interesting businesses including you know, rock treads and tumblewood tees and swanky boots, cream of the West. Any one of the stories stand out more than the others for you as you were, uh, you know, piecing this all together? Let me ask Sam first. I think they all just had such interesting aspects to it um, that, and, and, and kind of like what you said, you know, how you can interview, you know, the CEO of Microsoft and you're going to find similar stories to someone in big timber montana um you know there was just so many connections and interweaving stories and challenges and um threads um that's what was that's what really stood out is how um similar and for me you know having my own business there was just so many things that people would say that just resonated with me and then i'm like yep me too like good to know that you know, you've got the same type of issues and, you know, sometimes some different ones, but I can at least, you know, relate. Um, but I don't remember any specific like person or, or business being one that's like, ooh, this one really shines above the rest. But it was just this connecting thread of how similar we all are and how similar our struggles are. Um, and, and maybe even the struggle might be different, but how we need to approach it and the fact that we have the struggle can be really similar. Um, and just the mere fact that we have struggles, it's, you know, no one, no one had an easy road, um, that we talked to. Everyone had something that they were up against. Peter. I think that uh, the power of stories is that you take from them what you need at that moment. So when I think about what it affects me the most or what's most meaningful, you know, I'm personally, I'm pretty into like local local economics and and keeping our dollar in our community i'm also into local food systems so to that end swanky roots and their relationship with yellowstone valley food hub is huge you know it makes me want to hang a couple grow lights in my breakfast nook and and grow sprouts um, when i think about rock treads that's the kind of thing that seems attainable like with a great idea but i love that you see Forest, who of course also is um, also owns or part owns uh, Crazy Creek Chairs, but Rock Treads is is really rad because he's still sitting at the card table assembling kits himself, and it makes it seem like you can get there without a huge influx of capital, you know. Um, and I like Toscano Machine. Wes as an individual, I like have uh, spiritually. I think he's pretty impactful. I don't have a bone in my body that would enjoy taking a huge uh, 
whatever amount of effort and cash it would take to run that level of enterprise, I don't have that in me. So that part of it doesn't speak to me, but Wes himself, I one of the best interviews I've ever sat in. So it's like, there's different parts from each. And I kind of want to be Risa when I grow up. <laughs> one thing that I, as I, I do remember looking back that just was incredibly impressive to me was in Harlotin, Montana, the, um, the community, how the community s- stood up and took care of and saved the city in a lot of ways, economically. And that was really impressive that when we told their story, it became a citywide story more than some of the other ones did. And this community and f- everything was full circle. And we got to see all the pieces play a part in that. And so that just really impressed me. And um, there was something that really struck a chord with me there of even the sacrifice that there there wasn't so much of a, hey, I'm passionate about this skill set or doing this thing but it was very much a our community needs this and so we're going to do it um and that was really cool um and that that definitely struck a chord with me of something that that i still think about to this day for our listeners harleton's a town of less than a thousand people it's yeah it's it's was the smallest um town um that we went to that was showcased and so you know what they have done is impressive yeah, and it's, I think it's a. I'm not even sure if we did our due diligence in the film to really paint the picture of of Harleton as a as a former bustling railroad town that is like so many other places uh, suffered tremendous rural decline, but unlike other places of a similar size, has is really seems to be doing well um, and has interesting industries that are uh, keeping the town afloat. And of course, it's not just about industry. There's a lot of other aspects of community building that are crucial for um, keeping communities alive, but you know, you have to keep people there and, and jobs there. And you, but when you step into Harleton, it is a, or Harlow as they call it, uh, you really feel, it really, it feels like a special, it feels like a special place. Like there's possibilities there that's well integrated. There's great, people mm-hmm. have great relationships with one another. Another part I wish we would have focused on in the film um, more was what efforts are being made in the youth labor, which is a really tough, tough phrasing. But I mean, you know, uh, internships, apprenticeships, up and coming kids uh, teaching job skills and uh, and whatnot. And the, the, the theater in Harlow has a program where I hope I get this right, but they they it's staffed by high school kids and the students there work the theater and then upon graduation are given a scholarship um, that they that they can accrue credit towards with their work hours so they build work experience um, they earn some cash but they don't earn it at the time of their lives they're almost certainly gonna squander it if they spend money like i spent money as a teenager and and the and then the small historic hometown theater gets to stay afloat um, without a huge cash flow. And so those kind of like sharp ideas, I love hearing about that. Of course, I love movie theaters, but I also love the idea that um, kids are are doing something active and productive and getting out of the house and off the computer and like making connections with each other and with their town. So, as I watched Edge of the Plains. 
it stood out that passion was mentioned a lot. As you were trying to convey the story and as it unfolded, did you feel that passion from uh, from these entrepreneurs? Absolutely. I think, uh, I think, I mean, even like in a, as that previous example of Harlow, it was evident how passionate they were just about their community and their town. Um, and when, when talking with any, any of the entrepreneurs, it was just evident to see, especially once they shared their story and the struggles they had and, um, the, the challenges and discouragements, passion is what got them there and the drive and the continued pursuit. And so, um, and it, and it, the cool thing is that it was, there was this well-rounded passion, um, that it wasn't just isolated to their work or isolated to this certain element, but they all were also very passionate about community, passionate about their family, passionate about, um, society. There's just, it just really seeped out of them. I always remember going to Reza and Warren's house and, uh, they had a garden and you, you get to see some of that in the film, but they just love their property and, um, the life that they get to live there and, um, their family. And there's just a passion even in that, that just like when they leave their job, and go home, they're still passionate about what they do. And so, yeah, it was, it was really fun to see that. And I felt like it was easy to um, portray that in the film just because it, it seeped out of all the things that they did. Yeah, I think so too. And a lot of the passion on the surface, it's easy to be passionate about a product that delights, you know, to hold up a, a, a spoon or kitchen implement made by early wood or to like, you know, gaze upon a piece of artwork by Ben Pease and just to feel the good feels of craftsmanship and artisanship and, and what that's like. But really more than that, there's deep values-based passions. And I think that's important to consider because there's a lot of business that needs to get done and that has people full heart with behind it with full hearts that isn't as delicious on the surface, you know, and to take those two businesses in particular, you know, Ben Pease is really conveying deep concepts and trying to advocate for um, a group of historically, generationally disenfranchised people that have, uh, you know, suffered at the hand of, of, colonialism and, and unfortunate power systems for a long time. And yet that might not be readily apparent um, when looking at one of his grand portraits. But it's important to remember that my understanding of Ben or of Brad or of any, any of these entrepreneurs is they're not making something because it is superficially pleasurable. They're making things because they're meaningful to them. And, and it's the ethics that they're passionate about, not just the widget. One of the entrepreneurs talked about building America back one small town at a time. And that is a theme that seems to resonate through this conversation today. And what you um, saw when you were uh, visiting these businesses, did that seem realistic to you 
did, did that approach to uh, business seem realistic or was it more of a platitude that uh, helps them get through the day? I think that idea is literally crucial to a sustainable future. Um, not because I think that there's a, a lot of untapped wealth in small towns necessarily. I'm not saying there is or there isn't, but that's not where the wisdom lies. It's like finding wealth in places that feel unlikely, but it's not in their unlikeliness that is what makes them wealthy. It's because there's great stuff everywhere you look. Um, Sam and I live in Billings, as uh, you know, you in Billings, Montana, you in Missoula, I surely know no one moves to Billings for uh, a dream in the same way that they move to Bozeman or Missoula for a dream. You know, it's, we, we live in a, in a working town, it's in, uh, supported by heavy industry and, and, you know, it's just, isn't the same. It's not the same as going to, you know, nobody's moving to Billings for the same ideals they moved to Portland for, you know, everybody's like trying to get out and, and, and what have you. And so this is a circuitous way to get to the idea that there is great, there are great people capable of great things everywhere, not only in places of, of concentration of apparent culture and, and uh, kind of high-minded ideals of what it takes to live somewhere, what it takes to thrive somewhere. And so what I think is so wonderful about that is it forces us to, to look hard at places where we might not expect uh, big ideas to come from just because we don't expect much out of tiny towns because um, the urbanization of America is such a steady and continuing trend. And yet, you know, we're still going to have to grow food in places where uh, there's a lot of open space. Um, we still have to improve our infrastructure enough in small towns to get things from one part one place to another. And also the work from home, home movement, it means that these uh, places are becoming a lot more desirable to move to. And so I think we're, we're seeing everything being shaken up here uh, in the modern era. And so it's, a, it's time that we think hard about where to get our good resources of, of talent and, and, and knowledge. And of course that trickles down to industry, but it's really about um, good people everywhere you go, not just in the cool spots. Yeah, I think, um, <clears throat> I think there's a lot of nuance and a lot that could be said about that statement and even how that aligns with the purpose initially of doing this film in that um, it's local businesses and these what you would call like smaller businesses that really make communities thrive. And, um, and so I think, um, in my mind, my belief is that it's absolutely true that the more that we support these, these small businesses and, and for the person who sees a need like they did in Harlow and wants to step up for their own community, the more that we step up for our community and take these risks and support each other and shop locally and all those types of things, um, the more that we'll see communities thrive um, and the more that we get to support each other in a way that you don't when there's just these huge businesses where 
there's, I don't feel like there's a lot of support there. Um, you know, you look at, uh, Tumblewood Tees, the way that Riza and Lori support and champion and celebrate their staff. And it's true of all the entrepreneurs. Um, but they just come to mind because of how they talked about how great their staff is. And, and, and that's what you get in, in these types of small businesses and local businesses. And that's also not with just their staff. They feel that way about their customers. They feel that way about their clients, the people who show up to buy their teas. And that's what you get in these types of situations. And I think those are the things that make communities thrive, um, is, is, uh, all of the things that might go missed or might not be thought of, um, even like Pete said, where it's not just about your product, it's not just about the thing, but it's about the problems that it serves. And it's also about the connections that you get when you engage in those products and engage in, in that type of um, buying and shopping and serving and um, uh, providing for. So I, I definitely believe what Wes said was, was very true. And I think both Pete and I's belief in that initially played a big part into how we told the story as well. Um, that we definitely, you know, are support supporting all the um, messaging of that film. After the release of the film, what kind of reactions did you get from the interviewees about their experience being shared on film and, and what they learned from that? One of the things I remember uh, is how nervous some of them were to, you know, (laughs) I think they're a little unsure how how it was going to come across. And it's really vulnerable to share your story, share your struggles, share how you got there. And um, it's vulnerable to play an instrument that you just started practicing and allow someone to put that in a film. And so, um, uh, but, you know, having talked to, we talked to a number of them after, after watching the film, I think a couple things is what I remember them saying is one, it did feel connecting to hear all of the other people's responses as well and f- feel like you're not alone. And, you know, we interviewed them each individually so it can feel isolating and like you're the only one it's like oh my gosh i'm probably going to be the only one who's saying these things but they all had such similar responses and similar threads and so i think that helped bring the whole community of people in this region of montana together um, collectively to know that we're, we're doing all the same things and fighting all the same battles in a similar way um and um, everyone had positive responses as far as how, how, uh, it was portrayed feeling like, um, uh, even though the battle's not over, this is, it might sound really cheesy, even though the battle's not over, we're all fighting well. You know, one yeah. message from the film that I always hope that kind of came out more in the Q and A's and Sam, you always explain it really well. is just to, to reach out and not to be afraid to ask for advice uh, to ask for help, to find community wherever it exists and wherever you already are, and to not think that uh, the resources or the ideas or the helping hand or relationships that you need are somewhere else. Part of a big point of this, a big point of this movie is that they're right there where you are, but you have to have the openness, the vulnerability, and the gumption to ask the 
ask the right questions and to really listen. And I think that that makes a really opens up a world of possibilities for anybody with an interesting idea. The really neat thing about having eight different subjects is, is the similarities between each and even going back to that, uh, that uh, analogy of building the plane as you fall out. I think the, the beauty of that is when we see these businesses, when we see the CEO of Microsoft, when we see Wes Toscano with Toscano Machinery, we, we see someone who it seems like they're perfect. They don't have any failures anymore. They've arrived. They have no issues. And maybe they were always like that. Um, and what I hope that this film does is to break that illusion that anyone has arrived and to break the illusion that you have to arrive before you start. Um, and that's the, I think the cool idea about you jump off and then you build a plane is that you're figuring it out as you go. And we all still make mistakes and hopefully they're less consequential, you know, as they go, as you go. But, um, failure is a part of success, a necessary part. And, um, I hope that these entrepreneurs and the way that we shared their stories really exemplifies that to encourage people to, to make some jumps that they might need to make. Sam, Peter, thank you for crafting such an insightful and inspiring entrepreneurial story. It was tremendous. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. I appreciate your listening to Can Do, produced by Lena Beck in association with Montana Public Radio. For comments, recommendations for future guests, or general information, please go to mtpr.org. There you'll find previous guests' contact information and content from all our shows. Listen next time and I'll talk with Martin Davidoff, attorney and accounting expert, just in time to answer your tax season questions. I'm Arnie Sherman, wishing you good health and prosperity. <laughs>